I hope you'll take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 10. We won't have the scripture on the screen this morning, so you will want to follow along. We won't leave Hebrews 10 very much. So if you open there, you should have the scripture in front of you. As we come to this passage this morning, my hope is to help us prepare our hearts for the weeks to come. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to leave this space. We'll go to a new space. We'll be gathering with a lot of new-to-us people. It's a season of change and of transition. And it's a time when, if we are not careful, we can lose focus. Here's something I think I know, that what we need during this transition what Faith Baptist needs during this transition is for us to remember what is central, what's most important. What we all need during this time is to keep our hearts focused on, on what really, really matters. Because there's going to be things that, are, that could distract us. So I've been praying that God would help us to keep our eyes on him and on who we are in him. And on how being in him should impact the way we live and function. So this morning we're going to spend our time in Hebrews 10. And I don't know when we will get back to 2 Timothy. You'll know when I do. But in Hebrews 10 this morning, I think our time will be well spent as we remember who we are in Christ. Remembering that our identity is in him before our identity is in anything else. To remember that in him we have been given so much and it's out of who we are in him that we should live and respond. Not out of who we are as a congregation, but out of who we are in him, that's what should drive what we do. If we're going to be prepared to transition well, this is essential. Finding our identity and hope in him alone. Not in a church name, not in a location or a set of preferences, our identity must be in Christ, in Christ alone. So that's going to be what we'll focus on in the first part of this passage. In the second part, and this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time, considering how the benefits that we've received in Christ should impact the way we live and respond. Specifically, I want to push us to consider how these responses in, in Hebrews 10 to the work of Christ in us should guard us and equip us and form us as we go through this time of change. And I hope that'll make more sense as we get into the text. We're in Hebrews 10. We're going to look at verses 19 to 25. And just before I read it, let me help us get our bearings. Hebrews is a book about the superiority of Christ. And so in the first nine and a half chapters, the, the writer of Hebrews has been going through this whole series of things from the Old Testament and from the Old Covenant and helping us see how Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. So in the Old Covenant, there was a, a sacrificial system, right? Jesus had come, and he is now the final and perfect sacrifice, the one who gives us, instead of the blood of animals, through the blood of Christ, we have access to God. Under the old covenant, there was this need for a priestly system. These men who would intercede between God and men. But now Jesus has come as the, the final and the all-sufficient priest for all time, bringing us into the presence of God. 
So the writer of Hebrews is working through these first nine chapters or so, going to great lengths to show us how and why Christ is better. He's better than angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the sacrificial system. He's better than the order of priests. He's better and more sufficient. That case builds and builds for nine chapters. And then we come to our text in chapter 10, and it starts with therefore. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, because of who we are in him, let us respond this way. I said there's kind of two parts to the passage, a reminder of who we are in Christ, and then these instructions on how we should respond. And again, I think these are good things for us to hang on to as we go through the weeks to come. So Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 19. Hear the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir, one up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I was thinking this week about how Michelle has a gift that I don't have. She has lots of gifts that I don't have. I only have one or two. She has a lot. One of her gifts is that she can sit down in the middle of a movie on TV and just pick up wherever it is and just go with it. She doesn't need to see the first half. She'll just take the second. On the other hand, she can watch half a movie and then stop it and come back to it net tomorrow, next week, whenever. I'm not that way. I need to start from the, if I can't start from the beginning, I'm just not going to watch it. I might sit there and hang out on my phone with you, but I'm not going to try to catch up. And I'm not going to start a movie unless I'm sure I can finish it. And if I don't, then I'm going to go back and I'm going to start from the beginning again. Unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to start at the beginning of Hebrews. But that is the way you should read Hebrews. It's, it's an argument that, that builds and builds and builds, and I'm doing you a disservice by jumping into the middle but we can't always start at the beginning. The writer of Hebrews is building a case from chapter one through the book about the superiority of Christ. He's helping us see how incredibly blessed we are because what was has been replaced by Christ and he is better and he is superior. And if you read it straight through and you should, it builds and builds and builds. And when we get to a place like the middle of chapter 10 and he says, therefore, because of this, we should say, yes, tell me. Now we get a taste. The first three verses of our passage are the Cliff Notes version. And maybe some of you used cliff notes in, in, in high school or in college. Can I tell you, um, you missed the book, right? You may have passed the test, but you missed the book. What we have in these first three verses is the summary. 
and they'll help you pass the test, but they won't replace the book. But it gives us a taste of what we have, what we're jumping into. What we have is this transition. He's about to tell us how to respond to what Christ has done. But first, he gives us this little two-part summary. And in this summary, he tells us two things. One, we have access to God through Christ. And second, we have representation before God in Christ. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, this is just, man, it's one sentence summarizing three or four chapters. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he says this, we have confident access into the presence of God. Now, think about the old covenant system. The way the people of God approached God in the old covenant system is they would have this, this system of sacrifices. Why was that necessary? What, what was the need for sacrifices? This is what it comes down to. We are sinful people. And sinful people can never come into the presence of God. So God, in his kindness, offered this solution. He was making a way. The way eventually would come permanently and finally through Christ, but he created a shadow and a system through which the people showed their faith in Christ by bringing animals to be sacrificed. So for generations and generations, animals were, were brought and gallons and gallons, that's not even the right measurement, whatever's bigger than gallons, lots of blood was shed. But the system was never meant to be the end. It was a shadow. It was an illustration. Enter Christ, who lives a sinless life, perfectly righteous in every way. He died as a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins and to give us access to God. Friends, through Christ, you have access to God. And I don't know how to say it to give it the weight that it should have. You, sinner, can be welcomed into the presence of God. The verse describes it this way. Not only may we enter, but we have confidence to enter. We enter the presence of God with confidence. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. And then the imagery goes on and it expands. We look at the text. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So we go back again to the old covenant system and we remember the temple. And we remember that in the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God dwelt. And there was a, a veil or a curtain and nobody goes behind that except for one guy once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. It's this picture of this division between God and man, and there's only this limited access. Enter Christ. The verse describes him both as the curtain and as the one who opens the curtain. Through Christ on the cross, through his flesh, we have access to the holy place. And not temporary access, 
Verse 20 describes it as a new and living way. A living way because, friends, that perfect sacrifice, which is Christ, he is not dead, right? He, he rose from the dead. He is now our living way. Animals that were sacrificed served their purpose and were discarded and were no longer of any value to anyone. Christ died as a perfect sacrifice. Then he rose again, and he is now our living way into the presence of God. And not only is he the all-sufficient, eternally effective sacrifice, he's also our great and eternal priest. Verse 21. There was that sense there in verse 19, since we have confidence, and now we see the second one, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And here's where the imagery and the metaphors get intertwined. Because in the Old Testament system, we had the need for a sacrifice, and then we would have a need for a priest who would administer the sacrifice. Both were needed, sacrifice and representation. We've already established that Christ is the perfect sacrifice, but now we see that he's also that perfect priest. So go this afternoon, if you, if you can, if you can, read 7, 8, and 9. You got to read all of it. But when you get to 7, 8, and 9, notice how he gives us this description of the priestly system and what it meant to be the perfect priest and how Jesus fits in every way and exceeds that criteria. I'll do a little bit of the work for you. Hebrews 7, you could flip back there, starting in verse 26. Hebrews 7, verse 26, he says this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Four, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. It's incredible news that after generations of priests coming and going and living and dying and serving and interceding, Christ comes and he is the once for all time priest. He's our great sacrifice. He is our great priest. And it's because of him that we can enter the presence of God with confidence and have ongoing perpetual representation before God. That's all just the Cliff Notes version of everything that's come up to this point. Therefore, because of access, because of representation, all through Christ, because of this, let us, and we get three let us phrases. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast and let us consider. And before we walk through these three responses, let me just say it again. The reason I wanted us to think about this passage on this day is because I want us to be reminded of what's central to who we are and how it's out of this identity of those in Christ with access to God. It's out of that that we live and respond. And these are the kinds of things that we should hang on to, and give ourselves to, when everything around us seems to be changing, this is where we can find something firm 
to center our, our lives and our efforts on. We'll be tempted to focus on a different building and new people and to think about what's the same, to consider what's different. I like this or I don't like that. So many things will compete for our attention. And I just wanted to use this morning to just push us in and say, care about these things more than, than anything else. Here's the first, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I'm sure you can see how closely this connects to everything that's come before it. The writer of Hebrews has just spent all this time describing in detail the access that we have to God and that Christ is our representative. And with all of that said, you wouldn't think that this would need to be said, right? If we have access and we have representation, should we really need to be told to draw near? And yet God knows our weakness. And perhaps he knows that we would even still be hesitant. I know I'm allowed to, but is it appropriate? I know I can, but should I? Friends, consider what we're being told here. Not only can you, but you are encouraged. Draw near to God. Come close. Come in. He's imploring us not to neglect the gift we've been given. Friend, what we have has come at a cost. Jesus died to open the curtain. He gave his life to create access. And yet the reality is many of us still keep our distance. We keep living like there's a chasm between us and God. Get a little more specific. Think about your prayer life. Prayer is one of the ways in which we draw near. Through Christ, we have access to God in prayer. And yet I wonder how often you find yourself going through the day with the stress and the struggles of life. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to burden God, right? Where the command is, draw near. Come close, enter in. Yet sometimes we give little attention to God despite all that we've been granted. This is not the first time we've had this conversation in the book of Hebrews. A passage you're probably more familiar with than, than this passage would be Hebrews chapter 4 and you could be familiar about it with it in part because I, I read it a lot. I think about it a lot. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then here's the part to focus in on. Let us then with confidence, because of all that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This verse is a reminder that when you are weak, God says, come. Isn't that what we sang about? Jesus said that when I'm weak, I should come to him. 
we, we come to him. He gives us access to God, to the throne of God, to get mercy and gain grace. In chapter 10, we are told how and why we can draw near. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, which is to say, draw near with sincere confidence in God. And again, we have to read this and think about everything that's come before it. Why can we come with a sincere heart? Why can we come with full confidence? Because of what Christ has done. We don't come wondering if God will hear us. We don't come timid and bashful. We don't have to come with doubt or fear. We come with confidence and boldness. We come sincerely with true assurance of faith. We draw near. It's the way I hope my boys would always come to me. Right? Fully confident that I'm loved and cared for and that my presence is welcomed with a full assurance And that's what's being talked about here. Draw near, not timidly or bashfully, but with full assurance of faith. I know I am welcomed. The reason we can come with full assurance is because we know that what separated us from God, our sin, has been cared for in Christ. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, if we read this quickly, and and I read it this way first, we could read this as saying, before you draw near to God, before you try to come close, make sure you have a clean heart and a clear conscience. And we could go to other places in the Bible and talk about how we should be people of repentance, right? Our, Our sins could could separate or could cause issue with our fellowship with God. And yet that's not what's being talked about here. This is not instruction to do these things so you can draw near. This is a declaration of what has been done so that you can draw near. Does that make sense? Because you've been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, which is drawing on the imagery again of the sacrifices where blood was sprinkled on things to purify them. If we're in Christ, this has already happened. We've already been sprinkled clean. He talks about being washed with pure water. This is Ezekiel language, how God will wash his people. And if you're in Christ, you've already been washed. You have been sprinkled and washed. And so he says, draw near with full assurance. Do you see how that's emboldens us. It gives us confidence to enter. It's because of what Christ has done. It's a privilege for those who are in Christ. And yet, I would want to stop at this point and say this. This passage and these responses are all here for those who have already entered a relationship with Christ. And yet, there could be some here today for whom these things are not true. There may be some here today who are not welcome in the presence of God. Actually, all of us are born unable to enter. 
separated from God because of our sin. And there's nothing you can do to coerce him to letting you in. There's no way that you can can talk him in or prove yourself to him. You can't be good enough. Your family status doesn't help. Your presence here this morning doesn't help. There's only one way for these things to be true of you, for you to have access to God. It's only through the shed blood of Christ. And that becomes effective for us when we confess that we are sinners and we repent of the ways that we have lived in enmity before God. And we trust that because of what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection, that our sins can be forgiven. And so the Bible says that if we cry out to him in repentance and faith, we will, the Bible word is saved, saved from the consequences of sin, And if you do that, if you repent and put your faith in Christ, then these things are applied to you. You metaphorically are are sprinkled clean and washed with pure water. And then you can respond to this verse, drawing near to God, coming to his throne of mercy, gaining grace from him. If if you don't know if you're in Christ, if if these things are true of you, man, friend, I want to talk to you or talk to someone around you, this is essential. And nothing else I say this morning matters if if we don't start there. I know most of you here are in Christ. You have been saved by him, and so this verse for you is an assurance. You can draw near to God. Before we go on to the second one, let me ask the question. Why is this important for us now? Why is this significant for us to consider in the weeks just before we transition to being with faith? Like I said earlier, we're going into a a time when all kinds of things could distract us. There could be new temptations, new things that would cause us to stumble, new things that could cause us to rely on our own strength or cause us to despair. Friends, Satan would love to use this as an opportunity to cause harm. He would love to use this as an opportunity to create division in the church. He would gladly use this chance to discourage you, to throw cold water on your zeal. How do we guard against those attacks? Let us draw near to God. Let's come close to him faithful in prayer, faithful in the scriptures, faithful to gather and worship and use all the means that he's given us to draw near and to do it with confidence and trust that as we draw near, we are further protected from the things that could lead us astray. In a little bit, we're going to talk about stirring one another up to love and good works. And I want to invite you to encourage me. Draw near right? Maybe more than you, probably so, I could be tempted to distraction. There are details and systems and processes, more than we've ever had in our time here. Would you encourage me to draw near, to push in? Second, 
and, and the others are a bit shorter. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Something I think I've learned more as I grow older is that in most cases, it is good counsel to tell someone to hold things loosely. You know what I mean? Almost everything we see and touch and know is temporary. Our jobs come and go, people come and go, opportunities come and go. And so I find myself telling myself and telling others a lot, that is a good thing, hold it loosely. Here we're told the opposite. We're told that there is something that we should hold fast to. He says, hold fast to the hope of your confession. When it comes to what you believe about Christ and the gospel, when it comes to the tenets of the faith, hold fast. Remember the context. He's talking about the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ. The all-sufficient sacrifice, the all-sufficient priest. In Christ, we have all that we need. And so he says, hold on to that. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to the truth of what he's done for you. Hold on to the reality of what he has accomplished. Hold fast to your confession of hope. And do it without wavering. Be steadfast and firm. It's a big command, but I appreciate the way he ends the verse. I always like to think of the, the, the writers of Scripture, they're writing, and sometimes they just have a thought. They're like, that has to go here, right? Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. Wow, that's a big call. It's true. You should do it. Remember this. He's faithful. What does it say? He who promised is faithful. This is why we can hold on with confidence because God is the guarantor of our hope. He is the one who made the promises and he will be faithful to keep them. So because he's promised us that through Christ we have access and he's promised that through Christ we have representation because he has promised these things and because he is faithful, hold on to them with hope. I'm in right standing with God. I have access to the Father. I have all the benefits of his mercy and his grace. Hold fast to that confession. And do you see how this is a brother of, of drawing near, right? It's, it's kind of the confidence that enables us to draw near. We hold fast to the confession, and because we know this is true, we can draw near to God. We can trust God's promises. He is faithful. He does not change. He cannot lie. You can read about this in Hebrews 6. You will when you read through Hebrews. In chapter 6, you'll get to this point where he's talking about he establishes covenants. And they're saying, why can we trust the covenant? And he talks about you can trust the covenant because of the God of the covenant who never changes and never lies. We see here in chapter 10, he is faithful. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Why is this important for us in this season of the life of our church? When I think about this particular verse, I think it can be summarized as hold on to the truths of the gospel. And again, we're headed into a time when there will be things that compete for our attention. There will be a lot of good things that we will be inclined to give our time to. 
And yet we must never forget what's central, the gospel of Christ. It changes us. It's the message we have that offers change to others. And we should believe it and cling to it without wavering. As we do it, as we hold fast, it should lead us to obedience. So hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us consider. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, don't forget the context. We're doing all of this because of what Christ has done, because we are in him, because he has changed us, because he's transforming us, because he's our sacrifice and priest, we should stir up one another, encourage one another to what? To love. Encourage one another to love. Encourage one another to good works. That's the positive aspect of it. And yet if we keep reading, we also see that there's a a protection built into this. You could look down at verse 26. We won't walk through it, but the next verse is here. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If you've never read those verses, you probably have questions that I'm not going to answer this morning. I just want you to hear in this that sin is serious and deceitful and that we could be led away. It's a big theme in Hebrews, the the danger of sin, that we must always be on guard. And yet what we see here, and I love that this is a response, because of what Christ has done to give us access to God, obvious, draw near to him. Sure, hold fast to the confession. These things make sense. This one may seem a little bit different than the others. Because of all this, because you have been brought into the presence of God, stir up others to love and good works. Invite them to draw near. Encourage them to hold fast. Why? Because in doing so, you may save their souls. I think in the context, this is not only about encouraging good. It's about protecting others from drifting to sin. And this is something we've tried to work hard over the years to build into the DNA of who we are as a church. This recognition that we are called to care well for one another. We are not called to, in isolation, draw near to God and in isolation to hold fast to our confession, but we do this together. And along with these first two is this third to come alongside others to stir up others, to draw near, and to hold fast. You've probably heard me read more than once from Hebrews 3, this important admonition. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence fast till the end. 
As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I think this is at least part of what it means to stir up one another to love and good works. Friends, we are called to stand alongside one another, to love one another enough to be involved in each other's lives, to love one another enough to protect one another. We should long for those around us to love what is good. And can I just put in here this? This also means that we must be willing to be pursued. Right? I think sometimes we could say, someone's supposed to be coming after me, and yet if they don't come the way that we think they should come, then we, we make it their problem, not our own. We must be a people who are willing to pursue and to be pursued. Longing to give ourselves to one another. Warning one another about the dangers of sin. And the passage says something that I think is significant. This is something we should be doing all the time. Hebrews 3, do it every day as long as it's called today. Not just on Sundays. We should be a people who live life alongside one another. And this is something we must take with us as we come together with the people of Faith Baptist. We need to recognize that these are brothers and sisters who need us and we need them. And so we are not being faithful if we enter that congregation and do these things for one another and not for the broader congregation. You understand what I'm saying? God has gifted us with unique and long friendships and relationships, and we should not undervalue those or discard them. But we must branch out. We must obey the word of Christ when he tells us to stir up others to love and good works. And we will need the same from them. In the context, these are things that we do because of what Christ has done. Because of him, we draw near. Because of him, we hold fast. Because of him, we consider others. How do we do this? How do we stir up? How do we guard? We get a couple of things here in verse 25. It's not exhaustive, but it's significant. One way we stir up others to love and good works is by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's the go to church verse, right? But I hope you recognize that it is more than that. This is not just be in the buildings on Sundays. This is participate in the life of the body. Stir up one another to loving good works. How do I do that? Be with them. Be with them. It's a reminder that there are those who need our presence and our encouragement. We must make being together a priority. And I, I was thinking about this in particular this week because there's more people over there than there is here. And there could be, just thinking about human nature, there be maybe some among us who are hesitant to not be here because it'll be noticed, or hesitant to not be here because Southern Hills, real, I, I feel the need for my presence because this room gets off balance really quick. And perhaps when there's more of us, 
you would feel less of the need for your presence. And friend, I just want to encourage you to push against that. You are needed in the body. Your encouragement is needed. Your warnings are needed. Your perspective is needed. For the broader body, and can I tell you, friend, I need it. I need your encouragement. I need your support. We're walking into the season, and I, I, I'm doing this with you. And I would just encourage you, would you be with me? Let's continue to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works, to warn one another about the dangers of sin. How long do we do all this stuff? He says, do it until you see the day approaching, or do it more and more until you see Christ. We never age out of this calling. My prayer is that as we come together with faith, that we will engender this kind of culture among them if it doesn't already exist. A culture of loving, encouragement, and accountability. That God would use us together as his church to strengthen, admonish, and encourage one another. That we would be what God has called his church to be. Over the next few weeks, there's a lot that could distract us. As we go through this transition, we may be tempted to lose focus or to lose heart or to lose desire. We may be tempted to pull back or fall away or coast or blend in. But my hope is that we would take to heart what we have heard, that we would remember Christ and what he has done and who we are in him, that we would draw near to God and hold fast to our hope and consider one another. And that as we do that, we would be in closer fellowship with God, more confident in the truth of the gospel, caring well for one another, and that God would use our faithfulness to strengthen his church. We have been given so much in Christ. Let us live in light of what we've been given. Let's pray together.